Oh, I love those testimonies of the redeemed Jeff and David. Thank you for blessing us today with how God has moved in your lives. This morning in our first service, a woman by the name of Angie received Christ as Lord and Savior. Hasn't God been good to us? Isn't God good to us? He is so good to us. The ministry of, of the Spirit of God to us this morning has been powerful and rich. And I thank him, and I know you thank him for meeting with us and lifting us up and helping us. He is stronger. When we are weak, he is strong. In fact, it's good for us to be weak because when we are weak, he demonstrates how strong he is. Father, I, I just want to call out to you, give you many shout outs. You are so glorious. We love you. You're so good to us. You bless us and you help us and you save us. You save people here. You give us the joy of hearing of your salvation. You strengthen us when we are down. You bring friends and brothers and sisters to us and they minister to us. You minister through them, Father. The compassion that we have received, you minister through us to one another. When we are weak, you are strong. And we are always weak, Lord. In truth, we are always weak. And you are strong. So be strong among us now. Father, we have spoken to you by song. And now you want to speak to us from your word. So may our words be few. And may your words be powerful to us. Let our hearts be responsive. Open us up, Father, to the powerful message that you want to put into our lives today, I pray. For Jesus' sake, amen. In one of our questions from our study from last week, um, those of you who've been following along in our discipleship, discipling community work, Lesson number eight, one of the questions that was put to us is if Jesus asked you to step out of the boat, would you? And it was, of course, in reference to that stormy trial that the disciples had to face on the Sea of Galilee. And, of course, I, I don't mean to presume upon anyone who's here this morning, but for most of us, the asking of that question found us in a situation in our lives that wasn't all that stormy and not all that trial, not all that much in trial. Not for all of us, but for most of us. And so to answer that question, in some ways, from a sanitized place in our life was somewhat easy. I'd like to think I would. Yes, of course I would. I would, I would definitely step out of that boat. But that wasn't the context in which that question was asked. That, that question was asked 
in the context of a dark, stormy night. When disciples were in a boat in the Sea of Galilee, and the waves were pounding against that little boat, and the wind was in their face, and hour after hour of relentless trial was upon them. And the power of everything that God had created seemed to be imposed against them. And there were no stars shining in the sky that night that could remind them of the power and majesty of God. And there was no moon that was shining on their boat. And so horrible was that moment they couldn't see the, the shore on any place and they couldn't find their way and they weren't certain they could get to the other side. They weren't certain they would even see another few moments. They despaired of life and they were in the place of panic. So much so that when Jesus came near to them, they couldn't even recognize him in their great fear and distress. And that was the context whereby Jesus asked Peter to leave behind the last vestige of security he had that night, that dark night, and step out of the boat into the worst part of the storm and trust him. Some of you know that dark night of the soul. And it's in that moment that no teacher will be of any help and no prophet will be able to preach a good enough sermon. It will be dependent on how much you know about your God and who he is and that you trust him. And he will ask you in that dark moment to leave behind the last piece of security you were holding on to and step out of the boat into the storm and trust him. So the question that you have to face and you have faced and you are facing is who is Jesus? And I don't mean theologically. Of course, I mean theologically in terms of the truth, but I mean who is he really to you? Because in that moment, it's really going to matter. Would you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16 with me? Jesus continues to teach his disciples the truth. And so he takes them to, it says here in verse 13, a region called Caesarea Philippi. And he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. 
Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, or hell, will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. I want to uh, take you on a journey this morning to answer three questions. Every loyal subject of Christ must face in your life. He has just had his disciples in the company of the Pharisees and Sadducees who had said to him, uh, show us another sign and then we'll believe. And um, he takes them to this place called Caesarea Philippi. It's um, <clears throat> it is a site in the northern part of Israel that was fundamentally the epicenter of wickedness. It had been for generations. It was literally the religious center of the spiritual forces of wickedness. Over the centuries, it was the setting for Baal worship. And then after that, when the Greeks took occupation, it became a, a site of uh, the worship of the god Pan. Wicked, evil, manufactured God in the evil imagination of mankind. And in that place, in Caesarea Philippi, not only was it a spiritual, an epicenter of spiritual wickedness, but, but it was named after the uh, human powers of the day, the wicked powers of the day, Caesar and Philip and the family of Herod. And, and uh, in this uh, bald outcropping of rock, there is a large, dark cave that is there to this day. It's the headwaters of the Jordan River. And there in that cave, it was known by the locals of the time as the Gates of Hades. Literally, in this place of the, wicked, of the worship of wickedness, with stone-carved idols to the god Pan. And the backdrop of this, this um, hole in the ground where, where they claimed that the evil spirits of hell came out. It was there on that place that Jesus asked the question, in, surrounded by wickedness, who do people say I am? And so the answer was, well, you know, Lord, that some are claiming you're John the Baptist. Herod had claimed that. Some are saying you're Elijah, some are, because Elijah, of course, is prophesied to come at the end. Some are saying Jeremiah. Others are just saying a prophet, one of the prophets. But in the middle of the spiritual mess that represented the headquarters of Satan's work and the workshop where plans to steal and kill and destroy are hatched. Jesus called for a decision. 
just like he does in our life. In the place where the cultural pressures around us are imposing on us, where the gods of the age are causing us to question everything we believe, when our circumstances are opposed to us, Jesus calls for a decision. But who do you say I am? And how you answer that question will determine your eternal destiny. And it was Peter who stepped forward and stated, you are the Christ the son of the living God, in this place where there are idol statues to dead gods, in this center of wickedness, in this, this um, historic place of evil and wickedness, at the very portal of hell itself, where it is a memorial to death and dying and stealing and killing and destroying, at this very place, you are the Christ the son of the living God, not like these gods that are dead. And Jesus said to him, man did not teach you this. The Father in heaven has put this in your heart. The blessed already know who Christ is. He is the promised one. When Peter declared him the Christ, he declared him the promised anointed one. The one who was promised to be the, 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 uh, the Messiah would occupy the throne of David forever. This is the king of the universe. You are the Messiah. Not a Messiah-like person. You are the Christ. The Messiah, the one who will occupy the throne of the universe forever and ever and ever. And you are the son of the living God himself. You are very God. You are the living one. You are the one who brings to us abundant life. Unlike the one who is hatching the, the despicable ideas of stealing and killing and destroying in our lives. You are the one who brings abundant life to us. You are the living God. That's the confession of the victorious overcomer of Christ. You are him from right here at the portal of death and hell and dying and dead gods and dead hearts. Jesus says with this confession, starting with the Peters of this world, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Right here from this place, from the epicenter of everything that was terrifying people and throwing people into a panic and causing them to, to, to be uh, oppressed by death and stealing and destruction. Right here uh, on the basis of the confession of the Peters of this life, I will build my mission and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The gates, the defensive gates of the realm of death and dying will be pushed back by the advance of the church that I am building, Christ says, on that place. 
And so he has, and so we are. The church will be the chosen instrument to push back the realm and power of death. The battle for my kingdom foothold, Jesus says, begins right here on this confession. It's not a battle with Rome. It's a battle with hell itself. And the defensive gates of hell will fall. Death no longer can defend itself. The fellowship of disciples to this confession and this faith I will use to push back the, the, uh, the message of hell itself. Satan's plan kills things, but the gospel of Jesus Christ brings life and glory and God's goodness to us. So who do you say he is? But there's a second question that grows out of this, so what does that now mean to you? He says to Peter, Blessed are you, and I tell you that you are Peter. On this rock I will build my church. The gates of hell will not overcome it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. What, in fact, is Jesus doing here? He is delegating his authority now to those who are leaders of the church movement. He is, we know what keys are. You give, if you're given keys, it means you open something. And so Peter is now being given the delegated authority by Christ to open the keys to the kingdom of Christ himself. And it wasn't too long from then in Acts chapter 2 verse 14 that we see a bold disciple by the name of Jesus standing in Jerusalem before all the company and telling them, of the greatness of Jesus Christ and who he was, the son of the living God who came to die for your sins that you might be forgiven. And he says to the companies there, what must we do? And he says, uh, 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 trust in the Lord and seek forgiveness, repent, and you will receive salvation, you and your family. He brings the good news, opens the keys, and the church has been given this responsibility now, the delegated authority, to be the gatekeepers of the kingdom of God, to open up the great things, open up the gospel things of Jesus Christ to a dying world that is under the oppression of the killing and the stealing and the destroying of the kingdom of hell. And we have been given this great uh, delegated opportunity to open that up, open up kingdom blessings for people who are lost, who are on the oppression uh, of sin, who, are, who have uh, their past, their baggage, their hurt, their pain. We have this opportunity. When card, a card for a Easter weekend is slipped into your bulletin, it is a living application of this very text. Here you are. You've been granted this grand opportunity to open up to your, your world, open up to your neighborhood, your workplace, and invite people to come into the kingdom of God through the church of Jesus Christ. That's the message that was given to him and is given to us. The kingdom of heaven is going to occupy the whole universe and the Prince of Peace takeover has started. In fact, this is a fulfillment of Daniel's prophecy in its infancy, infant stages. In Daniel chapter 2, in that, in that uh, 
um, uh, vision that Nebuchadnezzar had and Daniel interprets in, in Daniel 2.44. He says, in the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up, and those kings was the reference to Rome in particular, in the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. Jesus is saying to them, here's the key. These are the keys. I'm giving them to you. This is the fulfillment of that. And this is the beginning of the, the, the uh, occupying and peaceful takeover of the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ himself, the Lord of glory, the King Messiah, the one who will occupy the throne forever and ever. You now have been given this grand responsibility as the church. Jesus invites Peter to open the door, and we now are the first fruits, the witness of a global takeover that is coming. Get in on it before it's too late. The kingdom of heaven is open for business, Jesus said. And the church will be the agency for managing the great movement of the king. The church is pushing back the defensive gates of hell, of, of, of evil and death, and opening up the door of a more excellent way of righteousness in life. I am the way, Jesus said, and you are the keepers of that way. And he goes on to tell them that whatever you bind on earth... And the translation is better, New American Standard, have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth have been loosed in heaven. This is not a, uh, uh, Jesus is not offering the sovereignty of the universe to the church. He is saying, you will manage my sovereignty. He's not saying that whatever you loose on earth, oh, I'll, I'll catch up with and, and loose in heaven. Or whatever you bind on earth, I'll have to bind in heaven. He is saying to us, and it's the absolute accurate tense of the script of the scripture itself is whatever has been sovereignly bound in heaven you will manage here on earth whatever has sovereignly been loosed in in heaven you will manage here on earth we have been given the 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 border agent responsibility of the kingdom of God where people bring passports to us and say I'm redeemed I've been saved by the Lord he's commuted my sentence he's granted me entrance into the kingdom and country of Christ and we welcome them in and say welcome my sister and my brother and we manage their uh, the the, uh, the kingdom and uh, the and the border of the kingdom and and so it is whatever is bound in heaven whatever is loosed in heaven is is now bound on earth and bound and loosed on earth we are to be the faithful kingdom border control agents carrying out the terms and conditions of the king negotiating border control over what God has already sovereignly decreed empowered to administrate this security salvation itself is being loosed from our sin bound way to go in fact through the open door into the country of Christ that's salvation rejection is to remain bound to your crimes against the king and refused entrance into the kingdom of God and so um, this amazing ministry has been given to the church of Jesus Christ. All inaugurated here in this great declaration by Christ himself. And those who enter the kingdom, the presence of Christ the king, are placed in a community, a fellowship of people that Jesus calls the church. And that church is being built to bear witness to the divine takeover of the whole universe forever. 
And the king is gaining a growing following and is coming for his creation. We are the church in Christ's kingdom. So third then, what does that mean you should do? What does this mean you should do? A little while after this, Jesus took Peter, James, and John to a place that we call the Mount of Transfiguration. And there he demonstrated to them an amazing transformation. Jesus, until that point, had hidden his glory, encased in flesh. But when he got to the Mount of Transfiguration with his inner circle, he there allowed the glory that was covered by human flesh to be shown on the outside. And there in all his glory, the Son of God stood before Peter, James, and John in the presence of the Father. And Peter and John and James witnessed the glory of Christ on that moment. And the Father from heaven spoke this message in verse 5. While Peter was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. In, in light of all that we've encountered this morning from God's revelation, what's the message to us? He's the Christ, the Son of the living God. He's given the keys of the kingdom to the apostles and to the church to loose what is loosed, to bind what is bound. And now, listen to him. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to you in the dark moment of your life when there are no stars and there's no moon and all of God's creation is conspiring against you and there seems to be no way out and there seems to be no way to the other side and you despair of death and panic sets in on you? What do you do? Listen to him. Listen to him. Oh, how powerfully he has ministered to me this morning already. Listening to him. Listen to him. Father had to say this to the disciples because they hadn't been listening to him. In fact, if you look at the early part of Matthew chapter 16 and verse 5 there, it says that um, disciples uh, were with Jesus and... Um, When they went across the lake, after all this stuff had happened, it says they forgot to take bread. And Jesus gives them a little sermonette. Be careful, he said. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They discussed this among themselves and said, it's because we didn't bring any bread. Jesus is mad at us. 
We forgot bread. It had been preoccupying their minds. They were in the boat. I hope he doesn't ask us for food because we forgot to bring the bread. All that leftover stuff that he saved for us, we forgot to bring it. And so Jesus uses the illustration of the yeast of the Pharisees and they're like, he's mad at us. Oh, they were despairing. And all they could hear in their heads is we forgot the bread. You forgot the bread. Which disciple forgot the bread? Judas probably forgot the bread. <laughs> and the noise of the missing bread was louder than the theological message he was giving to them about the yeast of the Pharisees. And they couldn't hear him. Regularly in our lives, we allow material things, physical things. You come in here this morning and you have a thousand worries. And you are so preoccupied with the noise of those worries that you can't listen to Jesus. You're so harassed. You're so harried. You're so hurting. You're so helpless. You're so frustrated. You forgot to do some important things this week and all you can think about is, what am I going to do about that? And if we are to listen to Jesus, we have to listen with our spiritual hearts. And the only way we're going to be able to listen to our spiritual hearts is if we stop being fixated so much on material and physical things. Jesus, listen to me, he isn't mad at you because you forgot to do something. He isn't mad at you because you overlooked something and it's now all over your mind. He's not mad at you. Jesus longs to bless you. He longs for you to hear his message. He wants you to hear the message. He wants you to know who he is so accurately, so personally. He wants you so much to be his sheep that you hear his voice. Do you remember when Jesus looked at the crowds and he saw that they were harried and hassled and like a sheep, like sheep without a shepherd and it says he had compassion on them. He's not mad at you. He wasn't mad at the disciples. It's like, I don't need your bread. You guys still think I need your bread? Have you learned nothing about me? Do you think that, that Jesus' mission with you is going to shut down because you forgot to do something? You think that's it for you? You think because you forgot to bring your offering today that God's going to go out of business? He can make money. Oh, he wanted their hearts to be strengthened and he was giving an illustration. So regularly we're listening to a sermon and we're thinking, you heard something Rick said and you say, hey, Jesus is mad at me. See, I know what he said. He, he must know. I don't know anything about your lives. And Jesus is not using me as some club to make you feel bad about yourselves. It's the noise in your head 
which is louder than the message of Jesus. Maybe you're having trouble hearing because all you can hear is through the grid of your own guilt. You've been redeemed. That means you've been forgiven. That means there is nothing that you're guilty of. So you can hear Jesus. So dial down the fixation on the physical or you'll miss his frequency. When you are in need, even if it's your own negligence, give ears to God's message because he provides everything anyway. And then he says to them in verse 9, do you still not understand? Don't you remember? Did you forget, guys? Don't be forgetful of what Jesus has done or you won't be able to listen to him for what he can do in the future. If your present situation is so loud in your head, you will forget what God has done for you. And know this, what you lost, God gave you anyway. And what you need, he can give you again. So don't despair. And finally, you may not be hearing God because you're only hearing your own way. Your own way is making the loudest noise in your head. You must hear Jesus the way he is, not the way he, you want him to be. It wasn't too long after this great confession that Peter made that Jesus and him were standing there and Jesus was telling him how much he was going to suffer. And Peter wouldn't have it because it wasn't his way. Now, we understand why he wouldn't have it. We understand the heart of Peter and all of that. But Jesus very quickly said to him, this is virtually the opposite of the confession you just made. I'm the Christ, the sovereign God of the universe, and I'm telling you the way it's going to be. Peter, get behind me. The rock you were a few moments ago, you're now a stumbling block. Get behind me, Satan, because you don't have in your heart the things of God. You have in your heart the things of man. You want me your way. And why was that so critical a moment? Because Jesus was telling him that he was going to go and suffer. But not only was he telling him that he was going to suffer, but in a few words later, he said, and you're going to have to too. I'm going to ask you, Peter, to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. And Peter, if you won't identify with my message about me, you're never going to identify with my mission for you. Listen to me, Peter. Be the rock that you are, not a stumbling block to the ways of God. Even if it feels painful. Because you yourself said, I'm the Christ. The promised Messiah, King of the universe. I'm the Son of God. The Creator Himself. 
The, the one who knows the beginning from the end, the one who has planned and purposed your life from before you were even conceived. That's who you said I was, Peter. Peter, be that rock. In a very dark moment, when you don't agree with what I'm doing, Peter, be the rock. There are lots of people, you know, who don't like Christ's message, and if you don't like Christ's message, you won't hear it or you'll fight it. I've met a number of people who've said, I'm my own person. I'm a strong-willed person. And, you know, I never hear God speak. Yeah. Yeah. You won't hear God speak. If it has to be your way and your will and you're preoccupied by all the noises in your head, you won't hear God speak. But if you will be broken before God and recognize you are weak but he is strong, you will hear God speak loudly to you. I am the Christ, the son of the living God. Step out of the boat. The last piece of security you have in the storm because I'm calling you and you can trust me. Our Father, this morning has been an important time for us all to have been brought along in the journey with the disciples what it means to be loyal to the king who loves us and knows us and wants what's best and may even hurt us to get there. Oh God, the Father from heaven has told us what we must do. Listen to Jesus. So we will listen. We will confess that you are the Christ. We will acknowledge our glorious role in pushing back the realm of death in favor of living. And we will listen to Jesus who has chased death and dying and guilt and shame far from us. We will listen. Amen. Oh God, here we are, the company of God's people, lifting up our hearts, having you lift up our hearts to you alone, who deserves all the honor and the glory and the praise. And we know, oh God, that we need you. We know that we need to hear your voice. And so I pray, Father, that your voice would be the loudest voice we hear. Yes. Oh, God. In these days of our lives, I thank you, Father, that you have loved us with an everlasting love, a rich love from Jesus Christ himself who gave his life for us. I thank you for the church of Jesus Christ and the great mission 
with boldness to push back the realm of death and dying and killing and stealing, destroying, oh God. Because you will have glory and you will demonstrate a better way, an abundant way, a living way, a way of hope, oh God. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.